0: where that is so much obedience um, yeah. to the point where if you say no to the shift, you, you can feel it in your heart and you can feel it in your spirit that you're actively opening in disobedience to God's best for your life.
1: Hi friends, and welcome to the Be Nourished podcast where we talk about the nourishing things in life. Relationships, food, jobs, dreams, and everything in between. Hi guys, and welcome to episode three with Lauren Gloin. Super excited to let you guys hear this today. She dropped such truth. She's so full of wisdom. It was really fun to talk with her. Um, she currently lives in Nashville. She was actually my old boss when I was in Nashville, and she was my boss during the time where my husband and I, my now husband and I, were long distance for a year while I worked with her. And it was so hard. And she was really pivotal in helping me and encouraging me on the days where I was like, I cannot do this anymore. <laughs> she was awesome. Um, She has had so much transition and change in her life. And she talks a lot about that in this episode. Um, But just how she's really tried to be faithful and follow where the Lord has led her and really be obedient to that and she just has done that with grace and I'm excited for you guys to hear this we still could probably do a whole other episode with her about her current life in Nashville which we are planning to do later on in the season so without further ado here is miss Lauren Gloyne well hi Lauren and welcome to the podcast hello so excited that you're here thanks for taking some time today to chat with me
0: thanks for inviting me I'm so excited
1: so, I've told everybody a little bit about you, but I would love to hear from you, um, just an introduction, whatever you think you want people to know about you. So, Lauren,
0: I am 31, about to turn 32. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I, in the bio of, like, my Twitter and my Instagram, the real quick clip is, like, I love Jesus, I love people, and I love coffee. And I feel like those three things... Oh, so good. <laughs> Obviously coffee is like a distancer and I love people and Jesus much more than I love coffee. Sure. Um, but really that is that is my order. Jesus, people, coffee. Do you,
1: um do you have like a coffee that is your favorite? Like do you have a signature Lauren drink or do you are you just here for like all the
0: coffee? I think I'm just here for all the coffee. A few years ago I went on um, a bit of a health and wellness kick and switched to drinking black coffee. Mm. And that was a really difficult transition, but now I can't really do sweet coffee. I can't really do, like, anything too – I don't want to call it floofy, but anything (laughs) –
1: So you are from, and I know I'm going to say this incorrectly, but you're from Nevada, Nevada. Which one is it? I always forget. It's Nevada, but that's okay. Nevada. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so tell I us about that. I actually,
0: I grew up in Southern California. I lived there. I was born there, raised there. I lived there until I was 13, and then I moved to Northern Nevada, the Lake Tahoe area. And I went from in Southern California, where there are a ton of people, lots of diversity, um and really just kind of a very different place to grow up compared to where we moved. So we moved to Lake Tahoe to a small farming community there. Um, And it was a bit of a culture shock, honestly. But I lived there from the time that I was 13 until I was 25.
1: Yeah, which is... I mean, 13 to 25 is super critical developing time. formative, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. And so then when you were 25... Tell us where you moved because it's like not close Lauren it's not close
0: it's not so when I was 25 I moved to the east coast of Florida so yeah I think I I think I clocked it one time and it was a little over I'm gonna butcher this but I think it was a little over 3,500 miles
1: away which is so hard for my brain to fathom so walk us through like how on earth did you get from well southern california and then nevada which wasn't really your choice i suppose because parents but how Correct. did you go from nevada to florida um
0: so i was like i said i was born and raised in Northern california lots of diversity um my parents divorced when i was two, and so i in my life i always kind of had homes in different places anyway so my mom and stepdad stayed pretty central to Southern California, but my dad and his family moved around a lot. So I spent some time in Salt Lake City, in Chicago, in uh, Virginia, and, and then we moved to Lake Tahoe. And we lived there. I I went through I would say the bulk of I wouldn't say the bulk of my formative years actually, because like obviously the childhood years are so important. But I went through a lot of my cognitive, like my um, conscious formative years in Northern Nevada. Mm -hmm. In a very small town, I went to a high school. My graduating class was about 300 people, um, Mm -hmm. and it pulled from, like, a radius of 50 miles into this one high school. And so it was a very, very small town. Yeah. Um, I went to college in Reno, which was about 40 minutes from where I had grown up in northern Nevada. Uh, Didn't actually complete or graduate from college ended up going into the workforce and and really I entered I started working when I was pretty young my family owned a business and my parents both had very strong work ethic they very much come from that generation of like you if you can you work like that's what you do mm-hmm. and so so I started working really young and so when I exited college and joined the workforce, there wasn't a lot of surprise necessarily for a lot of people Um, and so I worked a lot. I had a couple different jobs and um, through a couple different situations that happened ended up working, uh, ended up going through a period of actually unemployment and moved in with a family from a church that I was attending regularly at that point. And they just really took care of me and loved on me in ways that even now, I think almost, I'm not, I would say about a decade removed, almost. I only, I still sometimes realize new levels of, like, the love and care that they they mm-hmm. had for me. And I was a relative stranger to them at that point. So it's really pretty miraculous and the providence of God and the protection of God in a lot of big ways. Yeah. Um, so I moved in with them and wasn't working and in the time of unemployment i started volunteering full-time with the church that i've been attending so life point church in northern nevada which even now i mean i haven't lived there for seven years i would still consider that to be um a really formative house that i belonged to um One of the most formative, actually, I would say it was the place that I feel like the Lord first started stirring in me my gifting and bringing to the forefront of my mind that I had the ability to affect other people, to use my gifts for kingdom purpose. And he placed a lot of leaders in my life who, for one reason or another, like loved me and championed me and challenged me in ways that helped me grow and excel and I'd able to sit down my pastors and be like listen I'm super grateful for your grace and like all of that but oh my word (laughs) come on I was a baby you were letting a baby lead babies what are you doing I love that Um, which I think yeah anyway there's a whole other tangent there but we so I started volunteering full time At the point which I started volunteering, I had already been super involved in youth ministry, and then I had been very involved in worship ministry. I assisted the worship pastor with scheduling and training, um, calling up teams. I was also what was called a connections coach, so when people would join our church, I would sit down with them and talk through, like, what do you want to do? Like, what... What areas do you feel like you're gifted? What areas do you feel like you're suited? What sounds like something you would never want to do? Okay, let's get you plugged into a small group. Let's get you plugged into a class. Let's get you plugged into um, serving in this ministry, that kind of thing. And so I was already serving in a lot of capacities, but but in this season of unemployment, I basically just full-time worked for the church on a volunteer basis because I wanted to fill my time with something meaningful. And in that time period I got to know a lot more people and staff and got to continue walking in those gifts even more so than I had been able to when I was just kind of in my spare time volunteering and giving Mm -hmm. Um, and so I continued doing that and then I ended up getting a job that was completely unrelated to ministry and completely unrelated to everything that I had been doing previously. I was working as an administrative assistant for a manufacturing company and I loved it. It was There was probably 40 of us. It was a company that had relocated from Northern California. Um, The boss that I had in that job to this day, I would say, is one of the best bosses, if not the best boss I've ever had. He was uh, very professional, but very kind and very generous. And there was never any doubt in our mind that if his name was John, and there was never any doubt in any of our minds as employees that, like, if we needed something, we could go to John. He was very generous and very kind and it was the first time I had ever been in a job that wasn't my whole life it was just
1: mm. it,
0: it was great and I, I was good at it and um, I loved the people that I worked with but I very much like showed up in the morning, sat at my desk did my job and left at the end of the day and um, didn't think about work again until I showed back up the next morning and it was a different it provided me with space in my life to invest outside of work in ways that I previously hadn't. So I got to have a job that paid my bills and enabled me to live my life, and then outside of work, I was able to live the life that I wanted. And for me, that looked like continuing volunteering at my church, so leading youth ministry, leading prayer groups. Um, I got into teaching a little bit, which was really wonderful, and a whole new like gift set that I hadn't considered before, and speaking, and leading worship, and administrative tasks, and it was really this beautiful time of, like, oh, work doesn't have to be my whole life, hmm. and it can still be meaningful, and I can also, like, serve and do the things that make me feel alive and make my heart beat faster and make me feel like I'm utilizing the gifts and talents that God's placed on my life for kingdom work. Um, And so I was working in this this really wonderful job and serving in this really incredible capacity. And I got to a point where I kind of felt like the Lord challenged me to step back from ministry like for a few months I really felt the stirring of like I'm being pulled in a lot of different places in my serving like I and we don't have to delve into the Enneagram today but like (laughs) I'm a real classic Enneagram too I will work like I if you ask me to do something I'm going to do it but sometimes that can be rooted in this need to make myself useful Mm. Um. And to give in an effort to get, and it really can lead to this workaholism of, but not for the sake of achievement or purpose, mm-hmm. so much for the sake of the affirmation of others, of mm. finding my worth within what I give, as opposed to within myself. Mm. And so my volunteering very much kind of started to take that, take on that, um, that form of. I can't say no to things. Like I have to say yes to all things, and they've all come to rely on me. And like I have to say yes because if I say no, then I'm not being useful, and then their favor will lift, or their whatever, will their joy will lift, their love will leave. Um, and so I kept saying yes to things. Like yes, I'll lead that group. Yes, I'll teach that class. Yes, I'll do that. Um, and I just got to the point where I was really burned out. Yeah. And exhausted. Sure. And not only that, but when you say yes to everything you get to a point where you don't offer your best anymore sure. because you can't you only have limited resources in your community to give and if you're spread too thin nowhere is going to get your best everything might be good but nowhere's going to get your best and and i just don't really believe that that's the way the lord wants us to exist sure
1: absolutely um, and
0: so it makes me think of that ron swanson thing i think it's ron swanson of like never half-ass anything <laughs> like, <laughs> Yes. like always use your whole ass <laughs> yes
1: that's true that is so As, true
0: I just had reached this point of burnout and looking back I can apply all this wisdom to it but at the time it felt like failure like it very much felt like what do you mean I have to say no to things and so it was really this stirring in my spirit of you like you have to say no yes you're giving the like mandatory yes or what you view as the mandatory yes as opposed to like the passionate excited um anointed yes yeah oh
1: yeah definitely
0: and so I began to pray and ask the Lord like what ministry I wanted to I should step out of um is it first impressions is it worship is it youth ministry um and in my mind that answer had already formed because I knew what I most enjoyed doing, and what I most enjoyed doing was worship ministry. Mm. And so, imagine my surprise when, upon praying, the Lord was like, ah, "Worship ministry, you <laughs> should step, you should step, you should step out of worship ministry." And I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa cool, whoa.
1: cool, 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 cool,
0: cool." Hold the phone, <laughs> back it up. I don't understand. Yeah. Um. And and throughout this whole process, I, I meant to say earlier. I think sometimes we have stirrings in our heart that are not bad, but not necessarily of the Lord. They're just based on circumstances. Like, hey, as like my internal barometer, I know that I'm giving too much in this season, and so I'm going to adjust, and I'm going to focus on self-care a little bit, or I'm going to like re- rework my schedule. Um, there's some wisdom, there's some situations in which wisdom is the thing that leads us to a transition or an adjustment, if you will. Sure. But there are also seasons where that is so much obedience um, to the point where if you say no to the shift, you you can feel it in your heart and you can feel it in your spirit that you're actively opening in disobedience to Mm -hmm. God's best for your life. And this very much felt that way. This didn't feel like wisdom. This felt like something that had been slow brewing for quite a while. And the Lord in his kindness just kind of said like, okay, kids, like it's time. Like Mm. we, I have work I want to do and you're so busy and distracted by all of the noise that I, that I can't, not because I don't want to, but because you wouldn't see it for what it was. Mm. And so we have to strip some of this away so that we can get back to where we were. And the times in my life where he's done that, where he's planted a seed that took a while to hit harvest, but when it was time for harvest, what actually happened was a pruning and was like, a was a shift in order to refocus on the path ahead and moving forward. Um, are so numerous like we could be here for hours and you, yeah. we could do a whole oh, podcast yeah. series about that but um but i had been asked but so i asked what i should give up or like what i should step out of and he said worship ministry and i walked in fairly open rebellion for about two weeks if yeah I'm perfectly honest i was like oh no that's nah. the answer i wanted i have to go <laughs> yeah bye, bye. <laughs> pointed to me staying in worship ministry because I didn't really love being in youth ministry. I've been in youth ministry for a few years now. It wasn't going super well. Um, we've had, we'd had a lot of transitions within that ministry and a lot of my sense of burnout actually came from that and so there was a lack of joy and a lack of peace and a lack of interest, honestly, in continuing in youth ministry. And so to have the Lord then say, like, that's where I want you to focus your attention on. I want you to step out of this thing that this thing being worship ministry that feels like it's giving you life and opportunity and all of these things um, was really jarring and really hard to accept. Yeah. But it kind of accompanied that same feeling, that deep resonating sense of peace of like, if I don't do this, I will be stepping out of obedience. Mm. And it, it doesn't make sense in the natural, but I, but to say no to what I feel like God's asking me to do would, would position me somewhere he hasn't positioned me and, and looking back I can see the like well yeah in worship ministry I didn't need to rely on him I was using my administrative gifts which are really strong and I was um you know responsible for people which I can I do better when I'm relying on the strength of the Lord but I can also do on right. my own to a certain extent and so of course he wanted me to refocus in on youth ministry. I would have to rely on him in that place. I would, have to, mm. I would have to be uncomfortable. I would have to be stretched. I would learn more. Um, so not, that, not necessarily that he doesn't want us to be in a place that makes us feel alive, but I think he does take us through seasons where we have to depend on him for our source of strength and sustenance. Sure. So that we can relearn to do that so that when we're in seasons of plenty, we don't forget where that comes from.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. You know what I mean?
0: And so I stepped, so after a lot of prayer, a lot of grieving, a lot of, a lot, I stepped out of worship ministry, um, literally with my team saying things to me like, all right, see you in two weeks. Like, (laughs) this isn't, this isn't how this is going to go. And I was like, guys, I really think it is. And, and even that moment of like, My friend Kara likes to say "fear of God versus fear of man," where like Mm -hmm. I had to, as someone who deeply has a fear of rejection, I had to look my friends and my leaders in the eye and say, "I'm going to openly disagree with you for Mm. the sake of doing what I think God's asked me to do." And so, which is so hard, Allison.
1: Uh, yeah, (laughs) extremely. it's
0: It's really hard. And especially, like, being able to look back and see how unhealthy I was and how codependent I was in that season and for many years to come, that was so the grace of the Lord. That was so wisdom outside of my natural ability to be able to do that. Because, honestly, in my own strength and in my own wisdom and in my own stuff, the ability, I don't have the ability to do that. I do more so now, but back then, no way. Yeah, it really could only have come from this deep seated conviction of I serve God first, I love people so much, but I serve the Lord. Hmm. And if He's asking you to do this, it's not because He doesn't have goodness and treasure within that waiting for me and it's not like it's for no no reason other than the advancement of his kingdom and my good so why I can't say no like the, the compulsion of my very being is that I have to say yes to him and it doesn't matter what I'm saying no to
1: mm. so is this the time when Florida came up for you is this is this yes. during that season That's a very long
0: way to say so I was in youth ministry not in worship I was mentoring a young girl who struggled with a lot of mental health issues. She had struggled with depression and self-injury. Um, so I was mentoring her one-on-one, and she was part of groups that I was part of. And for her senior project, she did a an event with a nonprofit called To Write Love on Her Arms. Mm-hmm. And I, so I'd been living in Nevada, very much this like person who. Loved people, was willing to sacrifice for them, very much had tried to communicate to my kids and youth and to my teams that like you matter, your story matters, what you're going through matters to God, like you're seen and you're loved for who you are, and it was all of these ideas that I didn't really have language for, sure. and so, a mom, this girl that I mentored, she. Brought a To Write Love event to our very small town in Northern Nevada. And there were a couple reasons that this was really significant. One of them is, at that time, To Write Love on Her Arms did not do high school events apart from a department within their nonprofit, and this event was separate from that. Mm. Um, They, And then, not only that, but because of the size of the event, they had to move it from the high school auditorium during the school day. To an evening event at our church, and so there were lots of little things where, like, I, which I would call, you know, providence and the Lord, but which I caused me to be in that room when mm. I otherwise wouldn't have been. Had I stepped out of ministry, youth ministry, I, I wouldn't have kept mentoring Amy, and I wouldn't have been in that room. Mm. Had it been at the high school during the day, I wouldn't have been in that room. Had it, you know, wow. like had had X Y Z happened, I wouldn't have done that. Sure. To to me, the most significant of those is had I said no to the Lord and yes to myself and to man, I would have stayed in worship ministry and left youth ministry, and I would not have had any reason to even know this event was happening. Mm. Um, And so I I went to this event and tried to bail like three times, so I did that thing where I invited someone to go with me. (laughs) So then it was like, well, now my sister's going to be there, so I have to go. Like, I invited her. Right. Um, <laughs> and I sat in this in the room and listened to this guy who's now a very good friend of mine, Janie, talk about this nonprofit, To Write Love on Her Arms, and the story of how it started and why they existed. Um, Which,
1: tell us a brief, because I'm sure everybody knows, yeah. but in case somebody doesn't. Maybe,
0: maybe not. So, Two Right Love Harms is a nonprofit. Um They, I, like, I almost just full-on recited the mission statement because it's so drilled into my head. Um, <laughs> but they basically exist to help people struggling with depression, addiction, self-injury, and suicidal ideation um, find the hope and healing that are available to them. Mm. And they do that in a myriad of ways. Counseling, scholarships, treatment assistance, but also community and encouragement and just kind of a safe place to start the, hey, I don't think I'm okay conversation and to respond to that from a place of of understanding and of kindness and of of hope. Hmm. And Tonight Love doesn't in themselves offer any treatment or recovery services, but we do advocate for them. So a lot of the work that Two Right Love does is helping people realize that there is hope Mm. beyond the situation that they're in right now. That there is healing. That there is recovery. That there is community. That you know, mental health struggles are so isolating. They well, they can be because you very much as you're walking through them, believe the lie that you're alone in what you're walking through, that no one else can understand, that Mm -hmm. you just need to get over it, like X, Y, Z. Whatever the lie is, you feel very alone. But the truth of it is not only are there people who have walked a similar path to you, who can empathize with you, uh, or who can sympathize with you in very real and tangible ways, but there are also a ton of people who want to help you find healing and recovery and who believe in your ability to have better days and Mm -hmm. that whatever you're walking through right now isn't the end of your story. It's part of your story and it's important and it's valid, but it doesn't define you and it doesn't, that's not where the buck stops. Like there there is tomorrow and maybe the next day won't be any better, but then what about the day after that? And what about, you know, a year from now, 10 years from now? Mm Um, and so I, so I sat in this, I sat in my church auditorium listening to a presentation about this nonprofit that I'd only ever heard about in the context of like Amy and her talking about how it was a place that she had really found a lot of hope. Um, and I, they played a video that was talking about helping people understand that their story was important and that Mm. they mattered. And all of these ideas that I didn't have words for, but that I believed in so deeply and ideals that I'd actually been living my life based on in terms of my interactions with other people. And I just kind of stopped. Like I kind of, I mean, I like, you know, I cry about everything. It's fine. But like really sitting in that room felt, in a lot of ways, almost like a homecoming, like a, Mm. oh, these people are doing the thing that I want to do. So we sat down and had dinner and just talked about uh, Aloha and how it came to be, and I very much was like, this is incredible, oh my gosh, let's exchange emails, let's keep in contact, like, I want to be part of what you're doing, I don't know what that looks like, but let's let's figure it out. Um, And then we drove away. And it was like, okay, cool, bye. Mm. Uh, six weeks later, I found out that Twoloha was going to have a booth at Warp Tour in San Francisco, which, again, if you know me at all, Warp Tour, not really my scene. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. eh, but I just was like, oh, I want to see uh, the people that are there. I want to go to the booth. I want to kind of experience and learn a little bit more. So, like, let's get in the car and drive four hours and go. We get there, and it's sold out. Cool. Like, I don't know anything about work tour. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and, and so we went to. So I, I didn't have Emily's number. I only had her Jamie's sister. I only had her like Twitter handle. And so I DM her on Twitter, which at the time this is like well, there aren't as many people on Twitter. I DM, I DM her on Twitter, and I'm like, hey, we're here and can't get in. Is there any way you can sign us in? And they did. Like again, I put it on the list. Yeah. I should have been there. And so I spent the day at a straight Love booth talking to people who were struggling or had been helped, and um, at one point, Emily turns to me, and she says, you know, we're hiring for this this role, and I really think you'd be great at it. And mm. of course, because I'm me, I had already, like, devoured their website, and, like, <laughs> all the things I could have, and I looked at job postings, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'd actually seen that job. But I decided not to apply because I didn't graduate college.
1: Mm. And
0: Emily, was, she didn't laugh at me, God bless her, but she did kind of say like, that's stupid. Like, uh, you should, you good for should her. Cry. Like, <laughs> come on, what are you about to lose? Um, and I was like, yeah, but the application closed a few days ago. And she's like, listen, I don't know if you know this, but I work there. I'm going to like, <laughs> we got I'll it. email someone, see what can happen. So this is a Saturday in June of 2012 the person who's in charge of hiring texts her back before I leave warp Tour and says, if her application is in my inbox on Monday, when I get to work, I'll look at it. But like, we've already selected the finalists, we're done, like, Mm. it's gotta be like, I don't know who this girl is, you're vouching for her, that's great, but like, figure it out. But like, she's gonna have to do all the legwork on this. And so I went home from warp Tour, I think I got home at four o'clock in the morning, uh, um, and the next day put together a video and my application and my letter and all that kind of stuff and said stuff. Um, I didn't hear anything for about two weeks. And during my time at work Tour, Emily had actually told me that when her and Jamie got in the car after we had had dinner after the event in Nevada, they were like, oh, we should have, t- should we have told her about this open position? And they both said, no, I think she really seems to like her life in Nevada. Which, like, hi, no. I've been (laughs) begging for the Lord to release me from Nevada um, for years and years. Um, But long story short, 75 days after I met Jamie and Emily, I lived in Florida.
1: Which just blows my mind. But I like how, I mean, you've told such a beautiful story of how your life really represents trying to be obedient, trying to listen, which is yeah. so interesting because you are you have you have described yourself as the type of person and I know you, so I know this is true, who is constantly out for the other person. You always want to take care of other people, you want to make sure everybody's comfortable, everybody's good, what do you need, what's going on? And so I'm wondering, and since our podcast is called Be Nourished, I am curious. I'm so curious as to how do you nourish yourself as the type of person who cares a lot about other people? And you have said at times that can be a trip up for you because you maybe care too much or you have in your past um, struggled with codependency or whatever it is. How do you (laughs) nourish yourself, especially going from... You know, you're in Nevada, you have this life, you're doing youth ministry, you think you're where you're supposed to be, and then all of a sudden this person comes in and interrupts everything, but you latch on to the ministry and mission of Tuoloha, and then you move to Florida and decide <laughs> you decide to work in an agency in an industry where you deal with hard things every day. Not just like I mean, depression is certainly hard, but you deal with like suicidality, which is to yeah. me, like, some of the hardest stuff on the planet. So how do you nourish yourself, not just as a person working within that, but also as a person who can get sucked into not taking care of yourself?
0: Oh, such a good question. Um, honestly, a lot of that has been a reaction more of failing to do so mm. and, re- and, like, getting to a point where... Um, I was really burned out and really unhealthy and engaging in a lot of negative coping in order to stay awake, honestly. Um, Yeah. And so I think for me, 31-year-old Lauren is a lot better at nourishing herself than than 25-year-old Lauren was. And so my transition to Florida... I learned so much about myself during that time. Um, But honestly, it's been more of like a hindsight. Looking back, there are things about that transition. I can't go back and change any of it, but that I wish that I had done differently. I wish that I had been more intentional about nourishing myself. But a couple of the ways that I feel like I was pretty good at that um, is I stayed, I intentionally stayed really connected to people who knew me. And were willing to call me out um, yeah. when they saw me kind of overcompensating with care is the best way that I can put. Mm. <laughs> the, yeah. way that I, the way that I tend to like, one of my warning signs is when I tend to overcompensate with care where like my natural lean is to care for people and to um, really invest in them. When you're lean, is to naturally care for people, and you're good at it. Like I, that doesn't feel like false humility. Uh, one of my gifts is helping people feel cared for and loved and seen. I, one of my past interns described it one time as sitting down and having a conversation with you feels like curling up on a couch and having like a warm cup of coffee or like a cup of tea, where like. I feel invited into the living room of your heart, mm. and that is one of the best compliments I've ever received because I love that, and I love the visual of that because it is how I I want to make people feel is like come in, sit down, get comfortable, like you are welcome here. Your mm. heart is welcome here. Your story is welcome here. Everything you are, you're welcome, and when that's lean and you enter into a role where your job is, your job is to care for people. But in these really sometimes crisis situations, but always heavy situations, mm-hmm. um, It's so important to find that balance between giving of yourself and staying healthy. And mm. staying nourished and staying connected um, and I on it if I'm being perfectly honest I failed at that a lot more than I succeeded mm. in my time with to Write love mainly just because I wanted to give everything that I had for the sake of helping others like that was that was something I wanted to do and so it took me it took me getting to kind of a breaking point of numbness mm. um where empathy almost started to lift like I found myself feeling very much like I was going through the motions before I was like oh I have to care for myself in order to care for other people but it really does come from this place of like if you are not checking in with yourself and if you are not nourishing your heart and your soul and your yourself, you're not actually gonna have anything to give to other people. Mm. You know what I mean? Oh
1: yeah, I definitely know what you mean.
0: And I'm sure like in your in your capacity you, you know like yeah when you are in a place where you are a caregiver, whatever that looks like, um, it can feel really selfish to to kind of put yourself first sometimes or to even just have boundaries or to make what might come off as a ridiculous choice to someone else but is actually for the sake of being able to offer your best to others. Yeah. And so for me, some of the things that became really intentional were going to counseling. So about two years into my four years in Florida, I started seeing a fantastic counselor. Um really helped me start to process some of my tendencies of giving for the sake of getting, of overextending myself in care for other people. Um, I remember the first time, I alluded to this earlier, but I remember the first time my counselor asked me if I thought I was codependent, and I was like, oh, I don't know what that means. <laughs> and she was like, okay, here, go look at these books. And I like read books. Allison. i read books about <laughs> and then i looked her in the face and i said i just really don't think i struggle with that
1: bless what a cutie
0: that she didn't like laugh in my face or kick me out of her office or like whatever is the kindness of god at work because it's laughable another huge step for me in remaining nourished was being willing be honest with the people in my life about where I was and how I was feeling and it didn't have to be everybody I think that's one of the hangups that we hit where we feel like in order to be honest or in order to be authentic or in order to live wholeheartedly we have to apply the same level of vulnerability to a lot of people mm. or maybe that's just something I, I think about but one of the things I learned in that season was that's not true. Yeah. For some people the the list of the list of close friends that you can engage with in that way might be a little longer and for some of us it might be shorter. But having people in your life that you can be honest with and that you can ask questions with and that you can process with is a huge asset in remaining nourished, especially if you're someone whose lean is to care for other people first before yourself. Yeah. And so having, having people in my life that I could show up to, I could show up to them and not have to care for them.
1: Mm. Or That's who, huge.
0: if I started to care for them, would challenge me and say like, hey, this can be about you right now. Yeah. And the reason, the only reason they knew to do that is because I had been honest with them about like, I know this of myself, I'm going to overcompensate and I'm going to try and like care for you instead. Mm. Um, and I, when that happens, I need you to push back and I need like, so the honesty, getting to that place where you can kind of be, have your feet held to the fire or be called out to an extent or like be cared for well. Yeah start so much earlier because the, the reason my friends knew to do that is because I had been honest with them earlier. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh yeah.
1: You have to start at that place in order to build that community so that they can
0: yeah.
1: be able to say like, hey girlfriend, I see you and I see that while it appears to everyone else that you are taking care of them I know this is a thing that you do in which right. I need to come and say like hey boo boo, it might be time take a little break
0: Well, and part of that, even being able to communicate that stuff does require such a level of self-awareness, too.
1: Right. Absolutely. Like,
0: in order for me to say to you, hey, Allison, when I start to lean into these behaviors, that's kind of a warning sign.
1: Yeah. It means
0: I have to know what the warning signs are.
1: Absolutely. Which is so tough.
0: that I ran from from, for a long time because it was like, no, I don't want to know myself better. I want to know other people better. Like In caring for other people, I can shift the focus to them instead of me, Um, which is what I want. I want to be able to hide behind care and love and compassion and empathy and all of those things because they're good and they're championable traits, Um, but when they come at the cost of knowing yourself, and being able to really engage in authenticity and vulnerability with people who love you, um, they they turn negative really quickly.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Um, so those were those were two pillars for me: having a really great counselor and having people in my life that I trusted and who
1: knew me and saw me and I could be honest with. I love that. Okay, Lauren. So what is nourishing you right now?
0: Um, Well, it's summer, so avocados, obviously. Oh my
1: gosh. Are you like a guacamole or do you just put avocados on like anything you can?
0: No, like super basic avocado. Kind of going back to our coffee conversation, I'm so basic. Like cut an avocado in half, sprinkle some salt on it. I'll eat it with a spoon.
1: Yum. Mm. So
0: good. So good. Um, So yes, that is. I but also that. one of the things that I've been trying to being more conscious of is um, stillness and solitude and like spending time resting. I'm in a bit of a health and wellness kick at the moment that I'm hoping actually becomes habit instead of season, but anyway, (laughs) I'm finding time to just hold still and engage in something fun as opposed to something work-related or something education-minded or, like, learning something new or reading a story or whatever, I'm trying to make space in my life for fun and play and relearning some of those qualities. So one of the things I'm trying to do at least once a day is spend 20 minutes doing something that has no long-term benefit besides just, like, enjoying that time.
1: that's so good that's hard too but that is a good thing to practice
0: it is well and you and i could talk about like
1: relearning the importance of play for probably a whole other oh gosh (laughs) of course (laughs) but honestly
0: just kind of getting into that practice of like not every single thing that you do needs to be
1: That is good. That's a very wise thing to tell people because I think we could all benefit from that for sure. Mm. Yeah. Well, girlfriend, I have loved talking to you today and we are definitely going to have you back because I know that we have a lot more to talk about because right now, what the people don't know is that you're in Nashville. You're not even in Florida. You're not even in Florida. So there is so much more to your story, which I cannot wait to talk about because I know that even more the things you've mentioned about that still small voice and listening to God and trying to follow his plan and being obedient. And also maybe even some pushback, like, um, hi, I didn't ask for this. I wanted this over here and you gave me this instead. Um, yeah. and I know, I know for a fact that that, that is a continuing story for you that got you to Nashville. So everybody's going to have to wait for that one. Cause that's going to be another good one for sure.
0: Mm, it's been so fun chatting with you.
1: Well, I have loved it. Thank you so much. Yes, and we'll talk soon. For sure. Y'all, I told you. I told ya. I mean, I was in these coffee shops editing this episode trying so hard not to just exclaim out loud because of how good the stuff she said was. I mean, seriously, Lauren is so wise. And while she's honest about the fact that she struggled with nourishment and she has struggled with maybe being codependent or figuring out how to nourish herself since she is so inclined to nourish other people first, she... It has so much insight and she really has come so far with all of that. And I am just so proud to know her and proud of her journey and so excited for you guys to hear her next episode when she talks about what took her from Florida to Nashville. Today, we talked about the organization To Write Love on Her Arms. You can find them on Instagram or on Google. I mean, they're everywhere. Um, At To Write Love on Her Arms. You can also find Lauren on Instagram and the other socials at Lauren Gloyne. Gloyne is G-L-O-Y-N-E. Okay, you guys, stick around. We have another episode coming up soon. And you guys, seriously, I know I say it every time, but you ain't going to want to miss it, y'all. Don't forget that the best way to keep up with everything about the podcast is at Be Nourished Podcast on Instagram. See you next time.